Hey folks, I'm Alex Dowd. And I'm Katie Rife. Today on the show, we're offering a guide to the major streaming services. That's Netflix, Amazon Prime, and all the others. If you're a movie lover, which one is right for you? We'll get into that and more. Welcome to Film Club. So I feel like we kind of reiterate this at the top of every show. Maybe that's good for uh, for posterity's sake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're recording this from, from our homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone is still social distancing at this point. We're still in the middle of this, of the COVID epidemic. And everyone is kind of watching movies from home right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, here in Illinois, where we are, they've extended the stay-at-home order through May 30th. And although some states have allowed movie theaters to open with restrictions, a lot of movie theaters don't really have anything to open with or they don't feel prepared so they aren't opening. For example, Texas uh, said it would allow movie theaters to open at 25% capacity starting, I believe, next week. But the Alamo Drafthouse uh, chain, uh, you know, big, prominent, outspoken chain, they said they won't be reopening because they don't have the procedures in place yet and they feel it would be reckless to open. So, uh, hypothetically, the option to go to the movies will be there in some places soon. But I think most people just aren't comfortable going to the movies just yet. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of theaters are not actually going to be open. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, you also have to, I mean, beyond the fact that it's a major health risk still at this Mm -hmm. point, probably, you also have to weigh the fact that, like, the cost of running a theater and keeping a theater open, is that going to be outweighed by the amount of money they're bringing in? I kind of doubt it, but who knows? I'm not in that business. Yeah, at 25% capacity, I, uh, yeah, especially if people are hesitant to buy concessions, which I might be right now. You know, it's a big open bucket of popcorn is a little, hmm. And that's, (laughs) I know that's how they get a lot of their revenue. Like I said, I'm not in the business either, but it doesn't seem like the smartest choice, to be honest. (laughs) Well, the point ultimately, though, is that for the most part, people are not going to movies right now. They're not going to movie theater. They're watching everything at home. So we talked recently about our nostalgia for the movie theater experience and for about movie theaters. Today, we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to talk about your options in terms of streaming services. Yeah, and this is something of a companion to our episode on movie theaters, which we did two weeks back. Yeah, and uh, I I think there's a lot of services out there. There's there's a lot of things available for you to spend your money on during this Mm -hmm. time. And uh, I I think up front we should say that every platform out there is a little bit of a grab bag. Mm -hmm. What we should say up front is that we are looking, we're going to be, today we're going to be looking at the various streaming platforms and we're going to be talking about which ones might be a good fit for you. We're going to talk a little bit about what they offer in terms of selection and cost as well. I think it's important to establish up front though that we are mainly talking about this through the lens of how these how these platforms serve movie lovers. Right. For TV, pretty much every one of these platforms, uh, as you mentioned before we started recording, Alex, pretty much every one of these platforms has original series programming. And for TV, it's a completely different landscape, a very overwhelming landscape, as uh, our TV editor, Danette Chavez, has told me before, that there's just a lot of television being produced right now. That's right. Yeah, and, and you, obviously some of it you can get on, on Netflix, some of it you can get on Hulu. That's a whole other discussion, and mm-hmm, one that we're mm-hmm. not going to be having today. We, we are mainly talking about these platforms as far as how well they serve movie lovers, and what particular uh, areas of interest, what particular 
particular genres, what exactly you might be looking for uh, out of a movie streaming site. We're going to try to address that. And so, and you know, and it evolves over the years too. You know, like when Netflix first started, I know I was a DVD by mail customer. They were basically an mm-hmm. online video store then, and now they're trying to be a network in their own right. Exactly. And we should, we, I think we should also emphasize that the thing about the streaming services, there's two things about them. One of them is that all of them are to some extent kind of a grab bag because mm-hmm. the reality is that these, uh, these various services are all scrambling for content and they're all scrambling for mm-hmm. movies. So it comes down to a matter of rights a lot of the time. Like what can this particular service secure the rights to? Yeah. And that can vary uh, by country too. You know, um, yep. the titles that we're mentioning, we should mention these are all for us. Uh, a lot of times UK and Canada will be different. So, you know, your mild, your mileage may vary depending on where you are. Correct. And the other thing is that um, it's all very temporary because titles come and go from streaming services all the time. Basically what's, what's available right now on Netflix is not what's going to be available next month on Netflix. Right. Um, yeah. There's there's a whole there's a whole industry now there's there's like a, like a whole industry in our field of just offering a guide of what's coming and going from from these various services every month. Yeah, these we kind cover of all the major guides. ones. Yeah. Right, exactly. So we're we're just going to go through each one and we're going to talk a little bit about what they offer and how how uh, whether or not these are right for you as a movie lover. Yeah, or perhaps. Which movie lovers they're right for? Because I think exactly. a lot of them have benefits, but for different types of audiences. And you can split hairs with some of them. Like, for example, we'll get into it, but the difference between Criterion and movie, it's just very, it's two specific kinds of cinephiles. For sure. Yeah. Well, let's start with Netflix. Um, yeah. Netflix is kind of considered the industry leader at this point well, of streaming services. In the COVID age, it actually bypassed Disney. It's actually worth more than Disney right now because wow. so many people are watching Netflix. That's crazy. Yeah, it? <laughs> it is sort of the closest to a household name among the various services. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that almost everyone has, or at least is is borrowing from their <laughs> their mother or their neighbor or something. <laughs> there's a there's a feature on some of these streaming services. Uh, if you're not sure who's using your password, you can check and see which devices are registered. <laughs> and if you're feeling especially spiteful, you could maybe take your ex off. Because <laughs> a lot of people are using their ex's passwords. I use my ex husband Netflix password for like two, three years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Netflix has a kind of sliding scale of pricing. It's, it's, it's cost is nine to 16 per month. Basically you're, what you're paying for with, with more premium plans is your ability to download certain things. You can actually Mm -hmm. download the the movies or TV shows directly onto your device, which is good for say being on an airplane or something or going somewhere where there's no internet. But yeah, the it's nine to 16 is, is, is their cost range, which uh, the 16 is one of the higher ones in terms of the streaming services, but you can you can go as low as nine. Oh, I was going to say uh, uh, rent disc by mail is still an option. You can still do that. Right. And, th- and that, is, I mean, that is a bonus, certainly, because not everything oh. is available streaming and not everything... Mm-hmm. So there are some things that are not available anywhere streaming. Mm-hmm. Now, the library that Netflix has for both uh, streaming and for disc has shrunk over the years. Um, a lot. It's shrunk a lot. Even since I started doing streaming guides, which would have been... Uh, <laughs> 
uh, five, six years ago, even in the time since then, just uh, basically we'll, we'll also talk about Amazon in a minute, but Netflix used to be like Amazon prime is now where they would buy a big back catalogs of, uh, different, um, sometimes low budget movie distributors for a while, tons of seventies exploitation movies were on Netflix. You just had to dig for them, but now they're really concentrating on original programming. And as such, their archival catalog has shrunk significantly. Big time. I mean, honestly, if you're looking for, if you're looking for a huge catalog of classic movies, you're not going to find it on Netflix. No, not at all. Not even a huge catalog of newer movies, really. Right, exactly. Like, Netflix has, I think in some respects, they've kind of ceded that to to other platforms. They've said that's not Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. people come to us for, necessarily. I assume they have the metrics to support that notion. Their ambition is very much to be uh, vertically integrated in the sense that they produce the content that is on the platform. They want to be a major network like HBO. Absolutely, 100%. Also a major movie studio, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> um, because, I mean, that's and that's sort of what Netflix has going for it. I think it, its sort of main draw at this point for a movie lover is that uh, in terms of original content and or- original movies, Netflix is producing, I think, some of the most prestigious and some of the most expensive uh, yeah. original films. I mean, last year, for example, they had they had both the Irishman and Marriage Story, mm-hmm. two of our favorite movies of the year. My, in fact, my two favorite movies of last mm-hmm. year. Uh, Netflix is now also they, they're kind of filling the void. They're, they're sort of filling the void of um, mid-budget projects that yeah. Hollywood studios used to invest in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's something I've noticed a lot at festivals. Um, the kind of stuff that you know, the Netflix originals that end up playing at festivals. A lot of them are very much of the the mid-budget studio movie that was more of a thing in the seventies. For sure. Far more than it is today, yeah. Netflix and, and, has filled that void. And not all of them, honestly, not all of them, Netflix isn't paying for all, isn't producing all of them. Some of them they no. just buy. Like Roma, for example, was not made with Netflix money. It was just purchased by, by by Netflix. But the fact of the matter remains that Netflix is, it has made a name for itself uh, releasing and in some cases producing original films by major filmmakers. The Coen Whoa. Brothers film recently is another one, The, the Ballad of yeah. Buster Scruggs. That's another one that, that came through Netflix. They are building a library of original content, of prestigious original content. Well, not all of it is prestigious. <laughs> it's true. Also, to be fair, like they spent, what, $150 million on Six Underground, the Michael Bay movie? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they don't They don't just want to be known for a sort of awards fair. They, they really want the full spectrum i mean so yeah. you'll get something like bright as well the mm-hmm. will smith the will smith vehicle they really would love to dominate the market yes. the entire market if they could some of the other things that you can sort of some of the other originals you can get through netflix are they, they've built quite a library of romantic comedies they, they sort of have this mm-hmm. there's this new wave of original romantic comedies that they've become known for yes particularly um like uh, sort of teen-oriented ones like uh, To yeah. All the Boys I Loved Before kind of spawned a little cottage industry for Netflix of so that type of similar uh, teen rom-coms. Totally. Some of, them are real, some of them are good. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are very yeah. well received. I mean, there's yeah. one opening this week called The Half the, the Half of It. That is, if that's your lane, Netflix is, is a strong contender in that respect. Mm-hmm. They also have sort of, they're kind of competing with Hallmark and Lifetime in terms of producing uh, ho- annual holiday fair. <laughs> yeah. They've been making more of those. These um, these kind of inexpensively made like Christmas films, largely. They're building a library of documentaries as well, original documentaries. They buy a 
lot of indies off the festival circuit. Sometimes they bury them. Yeah, that's one of my main complaints with Netflix is they'll pick up some good indie stuff like uh, Atlantics, for example, the Mighty, mm-hmm. Matty Diop movie. They picked that up, but it was you had to search for it. It didn't show up on your browsing at all. It didn't show up in the new to you. And then another film that I liked last year, uh, The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open and Jezebel. They have a deal, I think, with Ava DuVernay's uh, distribution company where all of their films end up on Netflix, but they don't, they barely promote it at all. You know, a lot of film critics don't know this stuff is on Netflix. Right. For sure. Yeah. I don't always know. (laughs) It's kind of my job to know, you know? Well, and it's their job to tell us, right? But they don't, they don't promote a lot of these movies even on the basic level of emailing film critics about it which is it's very puzzling to me i don't understand the strategy i think a big part about it is promoting i mean when they buy an indie off the festival circuit for them i'm guessing they don't spend a ton of money on that Mm -hmm. and to them they don't see that as something that's a huge draw so they're they're kind of putting their weight behind things that are going to be things that are going to uh, get them new subscribers get get them get them new new more people buying Netflix and 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 becoming a member basically. But why buy them then? That's what I don't understand. Well, <laughs> I mean, a, a cynical person might say that it's similar to the to the way the Weinstein's operated in the mm. '90s, which is that the Weinstein's would sometimes buy films and then shelve them for years simply so that other sites or their oh. other distributors couldn't get their hands on it. Now, mm. I you know I don't know if that's the the I don't know if that's the key to Netflix strategy here. I have no idea. But I think for them, Netflix. Has taken a kind of approach of buy, 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 and yeah, I don't they're think very they always, voracious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think the algorithm always helps out all these yeah. films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of usability, Netflix's layout on different my two test subjects are Roku and uh, Apple TV, and on both of those, the layout is very attractive and it loads quickly and everything you know moves really quickly. But finding a specific thing can be difficult if it's not one of the twenty things that Netflix shows you as soon as you open the app. Right. And something else I've noticed is that if you search for something, they will often find a way to recommend a Netflix original that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, know? they will. They'll put it in front of the one you're looking yeah. for. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if you're looking for a streaming platform, that I think the bottom line is that if you're looking for a streaming platform that is going to offer you constant new, constant new movies and constant original content, yeah. Netflix is one of the most robust in that respect. If you like docu-series as well, which I do, Netflix produces a lot of pretty good docu-series, so it's worth it for that. And if you like reality television, there's a ton of that on Netflix too. They're doing in-house reality TV right now to a good amount of success, it seems like. The Circle was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as I said, Netflix kind of, as with a lot of the other streaming services, kind of gets what it can. But in terms of stuff that's going to be new on Netflix in May, I mean, there's there are a few originals, like the half of, half of it, which we mentioned. There's also a David Spade Happy Madison movie called The The Wrong Missy. They're still burning through that deal. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in terms of older films, the first two Back to the Future films are coming to Netflix in May. The first Ace Ventura, Sam Mendes' Jarhead, Mm -hmm. Sinister, the horror film, Mel Gibson's The Patriot, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, several entries in the Underworld series. That's really just the uh, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they're getting. But uh, as you can see, it's, it's slanted more towards newer films. Yeah, I think that list actually as random as it is, it is kind of representative of what is on Netflix. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on to Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. That's one of Netflix's big competitors. Yeah. They're interesting to put side by side. Uh, you mentioned Netflix having the prestigious films, you know, like The Irishman and Marriage Story last year.
year. Amazon Prime was the first streaming service to win an Oscar, I believe, for Manchester by the Sea. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so they beat Netflix there, and that I that perhaps that's what got the fire under Netflix's ass to start getting some, you know, big-name filmmakers on their original roster. Maybe, because I actually think they did have a couple good good years there. Uh, yeah. That, a few years ago, actually, mm-hmm. where, where they really were they really were throwing their money behind some very some very good filmmakers and some very interesting projects. Oh, definitely, like The Handmaiden, one of my favorite films from the last decade was an Amazon original. The Suspiria remake, you, can, you know what kind of movies I like. That's <laughs> yeah. original too. So a few years back when uh, streaming services like Amazon and Netflix first started actively acquiring films, original content, Amazon took a more traditional approach of putting films in festivals and uh, rolling them out theatrically and then putting them on Prime later. Whereas when Netflix first started doing originals, they were intent on day and date, which meant that it played in theaters and on Netflix on the same day. And day and date doesn't really seem to be working out. (laughs) So (laughs) last year we saw, and it did end up, perhaps they had more Oscar success because of it. They gave The Irishman a theatrical rollout before it was on Netflix, which is more traditional. Well, I mean, in order to even be nominated for an an Oscar, you can't go first to a a streaming service. You have to go to theaters first. Could you day and date? Like, on the same day? That's a good question. I know theater owners hate that because there's no reason to go to the theater for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't have the answer to that. That's interesting, though. But I think you're right that it really, it doesn't end up actually much paying off for the theatrical bow. Yeah. I think that Netflix has kind of successfully, they've just kind of decided that there are certain movies that are, these are our our blue chip titles that we're going to give mm-hmm. a we're going to give a, a theatrical birth to. And then these are the ones that like, who are we kidding? This can just go straight <laughs> to Netflix, you know? Yeah, you know, and and uh, that, that's nothing new. You know, studios always pick a handful of things to be their four-year consideration titles for the year. For sure. Amazon Prime is $13 per month. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you're not just paying, in, in the case of Prime, you're not just paying for the streaming service. You're also paying for free shipping in most cases. Mm-hmm. The and, two-day uh, shipping, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there's there's a second component to that that's um, which might account for it being slightly higher than some of the other services. In terms of their movie selection, you're getting a lot of. I was surprised at sort of the at how deep some of their genre catalog goes. Yeah, it is deep. As I referenced a few minutes ago, Netflix used to have these surprisingly deep catalogs of like 70s and 80s low budget sort of drive-in affair. And now that is all on Amazon. You can go hundreds of pages just for horror. Uh, or action on Amazon. Hundreds of pages deep. They have uh, stuff from around the world. They have a good amount of Shaw Brothers films on Yeah, a lot of Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, If you are interested in, you know, I I use Amazon Prime a lot. Like, I think I watch movies on there more than almost any other platform. More than the other general platforms, I would say. I use the, the a couple specific ones a lot, but Amazon I use the most. Because they just, I mean, classic films, quote unquote, not great. No. Only, only Criterion has a good selection of films made before the 70s. But, you know, for example, Night of the Hunter is on Amazon. Yeah. yeah you know, I watched yep. that last night. Like they, it's a very deep catalog. That's right. It is, uh, although there's not a, necessarily a lot of rhyme or reason to it. No, uh, <laughs> it uh, certainly writes deals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll talk a little bit. Some of these, pl- we'll talk about some platforms that are a little more curatorial. Mm-hmm. Amazon is largely about we can just get huge quantities of this stuff, and yeah, here it sure. is. You were talking earlier about Netflix's usability. I mm-hmm. feel like Amazon's is kind of a mess in terms uh, of 
for finding sure. things, you know? The more you use it, the better the recommendations get is what I've noticed. My recommendations have gotten very good and specific, but I watch, you know, like, you know, like, for example, if you <laughs> watch four 70s mid-budget crime thrillers in a row, it's going to start <laughs> showing you those. Yeah. <laughs> so it does get better over time. And I, I should mention that uh, I looked into this and some of the new, t- some of the titles that are gonna, that are new on Prime in May are the Adam Sandler vehicle, Jack, Jack and Jill. Uh, <laughs> you should uh, showcase them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rocket Man is coming to, to Amazon in May, but then you're also getting some stuff like Don Siegel's Escape from Alcatraz, mm-hmm. Dario Argento's Inferno, the Tarantino favorite, The Blood Splattered Bride, mm-hmm. uh, and the original Walking Tall. Those will all be those will all be there in May. In terms of originals, this month will also bring The Vast of Night. That's a a, a, a new a new ultra low budget sci fi movie that we both saw on the festival circuit. We'll be mm-hmm. we'll be talking about that on the show in a few weeks, I think, because it's actually going to be available at the end of May. Yeah, I think in general, Amazon's Amazon might be the quantity pick. Yeah, I would say that if you believe that the 1970s were the pinnacle of cinematic history, the best decade in film, you need Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what they have on there. They also, I mean, there's also the the, the sort of a la carte option as well, because yeah. um, I, uh, you know, I mean, I still, maybe I'm old fashioned in this way. I, I'm still completely comfortable, even as somebody who pays for a few different streaming services, mm-hmm. I'm still completely comfortable renting something. Now, oh, yeah, I rent that, movies all the time. You know, I mean, the, you know, we grew up in the video store era. Mm-hmm. So the idea of paying three or four dollars to watch a movie is not a big deal. I will say that that adds up if you're doing both that and paying for several streaming services. Sure, of course. Of course, yeah, because back in the day, you were just paying for the rentals. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most cost-effective, honestly, um, to, to just sure. rent because I mean, even even three rentals, and you're getting you're getting to the point where you're basically paying for a streaming service there. Yeah, so, it's like twelve bucks right there. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, the reality is that none of the streaming services offer instant. Very, very few of them offer instant access to brand new movies. No, yeah, you still have to wait. The theatrical window is still a thing, although, you know, COVID is shortening it. But the funny thing, you you know, you're talking about the prices adding up. You know, when streaming first started, everyone was like, oh, cable's so expensive. This is great. You know, it's $8 a month instead of $80 a month. But now if you subscribe to everything, it is easily the price of a cable package. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the direction we're going in for sure, Mm -hmm. is that all of these things are going to add up to being probably more than cable eventually if you want the full scope of what cable offered you. You know? Right, exactly, and then no. so, and then a company will come along and offer to, oh, we'll we'll subscribe to all of them for you. We'll put them all in one place, and then cable companies. Will do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to Hulu. Hulu at this point is it's about eight eight dollars per month, and that's with commercials. If you're willing to sit through commercials, the commercials uh, will drive you insane. Yeah, I, because it's the same one over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a cheapskate. I have Hulu with commercials. Yep. And especially in the COVID era, I've started just screaming at the TV because every single commercial starts with, in these times, we know it's difficult out there. Buy a car. And you're just like, ah! <laughs> it would be nice to have a car right now. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, go cruising. And I would like to be able to go for a drive. That would be nice. Um, it's working on you, Alex. It is. <laughs> So $8 is the basic plan with commercials. For $12, you can get it without commercials. So it's comparable to to the other services, obviously. Yeah. If it drives you too crazy, 
it might be worth the four bucks. Yeah. Hulu is also low on classics. I think probably even more so yeah. than than Amazon and probably probably in the range of Netflix, honestly, where mm-hmm. if something happened before the 1980s, you're not going to find a lot of it on Hulu. Just for a taste of what's going to be new on the platform this month, Batman Begins and Dark Knight, both of uh, Christopher Nolan's first two Batman films are both going to be available starting this month, starting mm-hmm. today, I guess. Um, the Graduate is coming to Hulu. I'm seeing the original Walking Tall, which again was also on Amazon, which raises the question that there probably is actually some overlap. There's there's a lot of overlap. Um, every year on AV Club, I do the Halloween streaming guide, you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, I really, that's how I fi- found out how deep Amazon's catalog really was, because I literally went 150 pages deep in their horror just to see what they had. And uh, there's a lot of overlap, uh, particularly yeah. between Hulu and Amazon. Yeah. Right. Goodfellas, A Life Less Ordinary, a couple other things coming there. One advantage that Hulu Hulu does have is that it is the it's the official streaming platform of Neon. Yeah, this is interesting. I feel like Hulu maybe feels a little bit left out with Amazon and Netflix, you know, getting all these high profile films because just in the past month they uh, may, you know, announced Portrait of a Lady on Fire was coming to the service and then Parasite, you know, two mm-hmm. of the most high profile films of last year. And of course, these aren't like you said, uh, to be clear, these are they have a deal with Neon. These aren't Hulu originals. There are some Hulu originals originals they put out minding the gap the documentary that we both liked from mm-hmm. was that 2018 yep 2018 right. yeah uh but they're hulu originals oh if you think netflix originals are low profile try a hulu original yeah they, they have not really carved out that niche for themselves at this point yeah but i wonder if they're trying to get there with this neon deal in terms of catalog, I would actually put Hulu between Amazon Prime and Netflix. They have more just straight movies than Netflix. They're just, my main complaint about Hulu is for TV and movies, the usability is not great. When you when you first open the screen, it's just sort of a random selection of stuff that they think you might like. It's not your list. It's not keep watching. It's not anything like that. You have to go several tabs deep to find, you know, for example, both of us are doing an X-Files rewatch right now. And the X-Files is on Hulu and I have to go several pages deep just to go back to marathoning the X-Files. But so that's my biggest complaint with Hulu. And in terms of movies, it's just like a scrolling list. There's no categorization or anything. It's very, very random. But if you're looking for a specific film, I've been surprised by the number of times you're like, oh, that's on Hulu. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. So you, yeah. you will occasionally find what you're looking for on Hulu. Yeah, like today I was uh, looking for Grey Gardens. That's on Hulu. Who knew? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Hulu is majority owned by Disney. I do think that that, particularly going forward, is going to affect what you're going to see on Hulu. Because mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, obviously anything that's anything that's Disney is going to show up on Disney Plus. Um, yeah, exactly. They have their own streaming service to deal with. Correct. I do wonder though if if and we're going to get to Disney Plus soon. I do wonder if Hulu will eventually become the place where you can see Fox stuff. Yeah, and um, Disney Plus also. I believe they put a PG thirteen cap on content on Disney Plus. So anything under the Disney umbrella that's R rated, Hulu would be the natural home for it. Right. That would make sense. Uh, I mean, we're not seeing a ton of that now, but like, I mean, like if I want to watch the Alien films streaming, is Hulu going to become the home? for those maybe i wouldn't mind because you know with the fox catalog being pulled from theatrical uh rep distribution because of disney's policies which is a whole thing you can look up i think matt zoller sites wrote an article about it that was pretty good if that's going to happen then i would like them to be somewhere and Hulu, yeah. if that's the spot that's the spot <laughs> for sure Okay, so we mentioned Disney Plus. Let's talk about that platform as well. Disney is obviously right now and probably in the grand scope of 
movie history, one of the uh, the largest providers of giant blockbuster entertainment ever. Mm-hmm. They are sort of the reigning champs right now. I mean, if you look at the the amount of the box office that Disney claims year to year is obscene. <laughs> Incredible. Um, That's what makes it so staggering that Netflix is valued higher at the moment. I know, it's wild. But Disney Plus, is a, it's a fairly new platform. It's $7 per month. And what it offers essentially is large chunks of the, the Disney catalog. Disney mm-hmm. obviously now includes more than just Disney. So you're getting the animated classics, but you're also getting Pixar. You're getting Marvel, all the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And you're getting Star Wars. And But the thing is, the Marvel movies, I can only imagine how complicated the deals for these rights are. Because they, they pop up on other platforms, too. Like, for example, like Epics has Thor. You know, no, it's not the exclusive home of all the Marvel. And a couple of Marvel movies are on Netflix, too. I think they pulled all the Star Wars movies from Netflix, and it's just... Disney Plus now. I think if you want to watch Star Wars movies, you have to use Disney Plus. But, you know, me being old and raised on, you know, the original films taped off HBO, they're the special editions. That's no good. It's no good. It's no good. (laughs) I mean, there's no, I mean, is there any platform that's going to give you, I mean, even if Disney Plus did not have the Star Wars films, even if they were available elsewhere, it would be the special editions. Lucas has has basically assured that that's the only way you can officially watch them now. So you gotta like, you gotta count on those VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this is like my regular corner on the podcast now. You gotta have the minute where Katie bitches about the special <laughs> So obviously, I mean, Disney Plus is, uh, it should probably go without saying that it, that if you're a parent and it offers a lot of family fare, mm-hmm. there's just a there's just a ton of not just Disney classics, but newer fare. Uh, they're adding yeah. new stuff all the time. And like I mentioned, uh, they cap the content at PG-13. So if you're a parent, you can just kind of hand them the, you don't have to watch as closely as, for example, them using Netflix. They could easily stumble upon something highly inappropriate, but on Disney Plus, it's uh, geared towards families that way. right exactly yeah they're like they're like making sure that that your kids are not going to accidentally find an r-rated movie on that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, in terms of what's coming up uh this month uh they're adding john carter they're adding uh homeward bound they're adding george of the jungle and uh pirates of the caribbean on stranger tides so some some live action stuff is is coming on there this month it's not the most diverse collection of of uh content it's not like no. you're gonna I, I mean although i I mean Disney Disney itself as a as a producer of um, of films over over the decades has a, a deeper bench than some might think but not all of that stuff is available well, one of the deepest benches is, I'm a little old for this myself, but uh, if you have a lot of nostalgia for Disney original movies of the 90s, they have all of them on there. And Got I know it. there are a lot of people who grew up on that stuff. And so you'll have tw- uh, 20-somethings perhaps subscribing to Disney Plus as well. Totally. So I think that's kind of what Disney Plus offers. I mean, it's definitely not the, the service you're going to get if you're interested in like a deep dive into um, into art house no. cinema. <laughs> that's just no, not, no, no, not no, we're going to no. get from Disney. <laughs> In terms of cinephile stuff, unless you have kids, I don't see... It's not really a cinephile's uh, streaming service, I would say. Right. For that, you could look to the Criterion Channel. Yes, the Criterion Channel. In my opinion, this one is the best curated streaming platform. However, it has some usability issues that mitigate that. I'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> I would probably agree with you. It's it's eleven dollars per month, and I think they have about a thousand feature films on there available, mm-hmm. which is less than some some of the platforms. But again, they're offering a more curated experience. That that's of course true to the spirit of Criterion, which uh, mm-hmm. the Criterion collection over the 
30 years has always been discerning about what it lets in. I mean, we can quibble about individual entries, but the fact of the matter is they've sort of, they've Criterion since back when they were doing LaserDisc has always sort of marketed itself as we are a, uh, we're an organization that's basically interested in preserving important cinema. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's an indicator of quality. And they have expanded it over the years. You know, they started off with French New Wave and Ingmar Bergman and your mm. really classic art house stuff. And they've expanded a little bit over the years. I mean, they have Herschel Gordon Lewis movies on there now. Yeah. So well, they I have mean, I expanded think, their scope. I mean, would you agree that Criterion is sort of the gold standard of home video physical media releases? Yeah, uh, the only other one on that level I would say is Arrow Video. Their releases yeah. are fabulous. But in Arrow doesn't quite have the clout that Criterion no, has necessarily. They don't, they don't have as big of a catalog either. Right. I mean, Criterion's to the point now where they're basically, they are now becoming, for, for some new art house fair, they are becoming the destination where those films will, will show up for a physical release. They mm-hmm. even have, have, they're even releasing some Netflix films. Mm-hmm. Both Marriage Story and The Irishman are coming to the Criterion Collection. Well, sure. I imagine they d- will not be available, however, on the Criterion channel. No, I, I don't think they would be. And, you know, uh, Netflix is chasing that kind of clout now. And so it is very much in their best interest to have a criterion physical media release and uh, aren't they doing portrait of a lady on fire too yeah i think so yeah they're gonna yeah. do the physical release for that one too and that's a hulu title yep streaming. yeah but that brings up the that, that brings up one of the issues here which is that not everything in the criterion collection is on the channel yes um, yes because streaming rights and physical media rights are two different things and mm-hmm. uh some of these titles i mean portrait of lady on fire as we said before, is uh, is on Hulu, and I would imagine it's going to remain there so long as Hulu has this deal with Neon. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. And you know, I mean, with with indie films, uh, it's it's just all about trying to find as many different revenue streams as possible. You know, that's yep. kind of that's kind of why this to go on a short tangent. This is kind of why virtual film festivals aren't really taking off because streaming is sort of a last destination for films. You know, um, festivals pace pay fees to screen movies and then they get a distribution deal and play in theaters and then they go on streaming and every one of those times the movie makes a little bit of its budget back right and Mm -hmm. if you go and if you leapfrog over the other two and go straight to streaming it's not possible for them to make their money back so i think that's part of the reason why virtual festivals aren't just replace that's the reason why like can isn't just we'll do it online it's it's more complicated than that for sure so in terms of criterion i i i think i agree with you that pound for pound like they have Possibly, uh, they're the best curated. I think they also have, mm-hmm. in terms of just looking at their selections, they probably have the best movies are probably available on Criterion. <laughs> well, on Criterion you know, channel. it is just the Criterion, just being under the Criterion label is a sign of quality. And I think they do yeah. take that pretty seriously. Yeah. The, the reason I say it's the best curated is because they seem to be plugged... I'm not, well, this could be a chicken egg situation. Are people talking about it because it's on Criterion? Mm-hmm. Or is it on Criterion because people are talking about mm-hmm. it? But either way, they seem to be pretty plugged into the the sort of like online dialogue, the movies that people are talking about, the stuff that is on my watch list. It's happened to me several times this year already where someone's on my watch list and I go, oh, yeah, I should get around to seeing that. I fire up Criterion and there it is. Well, I think I, I think you're touching on sort of what's one of the more remarkable things about Criterion is that they are both reflective of film culture in the sense that they go after films that are important 
and films that are uh, artistically significant and historically significant, but they also help shape that conversation mm-hmm. too by basically when, when they select something, they say this is important as well, and it, it puts it on the radar of a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of thought of Criterion as a film education in and of itself. I mean, if you watch all these movies, I think you are going to get, you're going to learn a lot about global cinema. Mm-hmm. So I think the Criterion channel offers, at least an abbreviated version of that, again, not everything that's available in the collection is available to stream and I think that changes a little bit month to month as with any streaming service. Oh sure but if there's one major downside to Criterion you know some of these ones that we're talking about that have the big deep catalogs it's it can be tough to browse but if you're searching it's great you yeah, know. Yeah for sure. Like if you're you know uh, reading books about movies finding about about movies different ways besides browsing the platforms Criterion is actually pretty difficult for that. For example I was trying to see what ja- just what Japanese films were on Criterion and they don't they uh, back on when it was Filmstruck they used to have more general browsing categories video store type categories like that but they don't have that anymore on Criterion channel and you just have to go to search and type in Japan and then everything that they have will come up in an order that isn't doesn't make a lot of sense and also all of the bonus interviews will pop up and so it it can be difficult like say for example you're like i want to watch a movie from the 1940s tonight good luck on criterion (laughs) yeah finding it that way anyway yeah for sure um for listeners who don't know filmstruck uh was a a short-lived and much beloved streaming service that sort of Mm -hmm. predated predated the criterion channel yeah had a lot of the same films they had a they had a direct relationship with criterion when filmstruck went under criterion sort of picked up the baton and said we're gonna we're gonna create something kind of similar yeah if they would replicate that sort of structure where you could look by uh artist because they have these collections on Criterion Channel, you know, where it'll be like directed by, for example, uh, Jane Campion, and they'll have all her movies in there. But if that doesn't show up on the first page and you want to watch a Jane Campion movie, you're going to have a little bit of an issue. So I wish they would bring back the more general browsing categories on Criterion, and then it would be the best streaming service, in my opinion. Totally. You know, I think that it is the best streaming service, mm-hmm. but again, I think that does actually depend on what you're looking for. So it's not as cut and dry as just like, this is the best, this is the worst, that sort of thing. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it would be heads and shoulders above everybody else if yeah, yeah. just if if uh, the the video I I keep referring to them as video store categories because I'm an ex video store clerk <laughs> but you know like in the video store you organize it by comedy drama sci fi etc and streaming services they don't all do that the only one that does that right now is Shutter yeah. And it's just something that I appreciate. It's, yeah. it's a way of looking for something to watch that I'm very used to from being a video store clerk for 10 years. Totally. So it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, I want to talk about the next platform here, and that's mm-hmm. Mubi. Now, Mubi is the same price as Criterion. It's $11 per month. And mm-hmm. I feel like if a lot of these services are sort of like, they're kind of like family video in the mm-hmm. sense that they just offer these large kind of random assortment of titles. They're like virtual video stores where you can sort of find just a grab bag of things. Yeah. Mubi is more like if somebody took the recommended shelf at your favorite at your favorite video store, your favorite local sort of hard to find video store, and all it offered was that recommended shelf. 
Yeah. So Movie's deal is that it offers at any time 30 titles, just 30 titles, but they're, it's highly curated. The idea is that everything is there. Everything there is, is there on a temporary basis. It's a rotating library, almost like an actual art house theater in some respects. And these, the 30 titles change, basically. And if you, if, if you have a movie account and you log in, you basically will get notification on everything that's in there, how much longer it's on there. That's nice. That's really nice. It is nice. nice. It's really convenient. So they're even organized by how much longer they're available. So there'll be ones that are like, you have one more day to watch this. You have five more days to watch this, etc. And it just, it's constantly changing. But movie is probably the most curated of of the streaming services, I think, in the sense that everything on there is on there for a reason. And uh, it's all art house fair almost exclusively, I would say. And all of them were chosen because the people who, who run the site or, or, or who run the service think that they're, it's it's an important film. So in the same sense that the Criterion Channel can can serve as a as an education in film, movie feels like a very targeted education. It's like, this is what we're interested in showing. Well, I think that, um, well, something that's happening right now with the COVID epidemic is um, smart house theaters are opening virtual cinemas. Yeah. And the experience of that, if you've used one of those and you really like it, then you should try movie because it's a lot like it's similar to that you know yeah it's like these are the titles it's 30 titles <laughs> take a look i mean the only one for whom movie i could not see being remotely useful is somebody who has seen all of the movies that they're showing and because of the the the, the degree to which the programmers at movie i'm going to call them programmers i guess the degree to which they are reaching into the depths of cinema and finding unusual or interesting things it's pretty uh, unlikely <laughs> it's pretty unlikely honestly yeah. that you're gonna have seen yeah. everything everything that they're showing, so to speak. So in terms of what's going to be on movie in May, Beanpole, the Russian film that came out earlier this year, is getting its 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 exclusive streaming run on movie. Good film. Good film. Agreed. I, I, I saw that at Cannes and liked it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. There are some early, some early German classics are going to be available on there uh, this month. Uh, Metropolis, Nosferatu, The Blue Angel, and Rivette's Out One, sort of one of the, the, the big sort of long cinema holy grail, so to speak. Mm is on there. They're going to be showing that in parts. So if you've been waiting, like I have, to watch that thing, a movie membership might be might be up your alley. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen that one. Please don't take my film credit card away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't watched it either, to be honest. And uh, I love Rivette, but uh, it's very long. Yeah, and, for sure. And uh, it's just a matter of trying to work it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen part of Satan Tank. <laughs> oh, you should definitely finish that. That is yeah, uh, yeah, 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 that is chef's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> I you well, know originally this list on this list I had Fandor as well, but Fandor is is a dead platform unfortunately. Um, mm. As far as I know, you can actually still go to the website, and uh, I think what happens is when you si- try to sign up, your credit card is just rejected. <laughs> oh. They like laid everybody off a couple years ago. It's still, but the site is still active. But yeah, I don't think you, you can, can still go on the website. That's strange. It is strange. Um, Fandor was even more, I think, eclectic in some ways than movie. They were very mm-hmm. much like Fandor's whole thing was we are really we are giving you like stuff on the on the far outskirts. We this is like it's all independent film, a lot of foreign film and a lot mm-hmm. of really, really obscure stuff. So that was great for for those who even even something like movie would be I mean you'd never I don't think you'd see anything like Metropolis on Fandor. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be too mainstream for them. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. The other thing, movie does offer rentals as well, I should say that. So mm-hmm. like like Amazon, you can supplement your, your, your monthly 
your your monthly watch with stuff that's not in that official group of 30 that you can just rent for a few bucks, that sort of thing. True video store experience. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk next about Shutter. Yeah, now for something completely different. Indeed. Uh, Shutter is $6 per month. It's one of the cheaper of the services. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shutter is, of all of the streaming services out there, the one that I think is the most genre targeted. Yeah, yeah. There are a few other genre uh, streaming services, but none of them uh, have the platform of Shutter. They don't work as well. They're not as well designed. They don't have the curation of Shutter. And uh, honestly, they don't have the acquisition budget of Shutter, which is part of AMC. So they can buy some some of their. You have to draw a line between Shutter exclusives and originals. I'll get more into this in a minute. But some of their exclusives, they buy some good stuff off the festival circuit. Right. Yeah. So I mean, their programming is kind of um, uh, programming is the right word. Their selections are sort of. Um, it's a mix of horror classics. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see stuff like Night of the Living Dead and Halloween on there. Or even you can watch the old Dark House on there. They have some older stuff too. Right. Right. So like these sort of uh, these sort of milestones of the genre. There's also new stuff that's been purchased directly off of the off of the festival circuit and there's a whole lot of z-grade schlock as well i think that's just kind of the nature of the horror genre isn't it you know yeah for sure yeah like i mean did i like uh tigers are not afraid yes do i want to watch demon wind also yes Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it is the, it's the service that if you are a voracious consumer of horror, mm-hmm. it is, it's the one for you. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it's, 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 it's a good catalog. Yeah, like I watch pretty much every new horror movie that comes out and uh, in their new the new tab on Shutter. there's always a couple things I haven't seen on there. So one thing, uh, like I mentioned earlier, they have exclusives and originals, and I'm not sure exactly what the line is. I assume it's some sort of, you know, rights deal, different prices, stuff like that. But a Shutter exclusive, there is some good stuff like Phantasm, the original Phantasm, the remastered uh, 4K that uh, Bad Robot did. That's exclusive on Shudder. You have to get Shudder if you want to watch Phantasm. And uh, One Cut of the Dead, Bliss, Tigers Are Not Afraid, like I mentioned. Movies that I talk about all the time. All Shudder exclusives. But the Shudder originals, I think maybe they've stepped up their acquisition recently and they're just buying more. And so more schlock is kind of coming up on the original side. And... You know, I have mixed feelings about it because some people don't really like the more festival elevated, so to speak, horror. Some people don't like that. They like schlock and you know, both can sit side by side. I think what it comes down to probably is that if Shudder could get the exclusive rights to Midsummer or to The Lighthouse or something. They would. They absolutely would. <laughs> but in t- but those films have a cachet sort of outside of beyond strictly horror audiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're not uh, that's that's not something they're going to be able to broker. That's not a deal they're going to be able to broker necessarily. So in terms of the films that they are they, they are sort of snatching up and and making exclusives, it's stuff that has less of a but, less but cachet, one might say. Maybe less crossover perhaps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In terms of what's going to be new on Shutter in May, uh, I'm just I, actually I'm just looking here at some of the classics. You can see there there will be new there there are a few new 
like Shutter exclusives, as you said. But in terms of classics, uh, the original Hellraiser, Goodnight Mommy. I guess that's not a classic, mm-hmm. but that's a, that's sort of one of the more significant horror films of the last 10 years, maybe. It's a fucked up movie. It, this is definitely a fucked up movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what you did last summer. Oh, that's such a fun movie. I haven't seen that it since is. it came out. I might have to watch it again. It is a fun movie. But in terms of usability, Shutter has like one big pro and one big con, in my opinion. The big pro is that they have two. They have a lot of different tabs you can page through but they're arranged in a better order than on hulu like the first when you open the app here's the con this thing shutter tv pops up which is like a constant stream of films that i think is free you can just watch it without subscribing to shutter and that's fine but if your internet if your wi-fi isn't blazing fast it can take a minute for that to come up and so it gets frustrating waiting for that to come up and then dismiss it and then go to the front page of shutter so that's kind of frustrating but i really once you get into the browsing area i really like the way it's set up the first page is all curated collections and then the next tab after that is the browse feature that i was talking about where they have it arranged by like Here's ghost movies, here's Asian horror movies, here's horror movies from the 80s. Just different types of horror movies that someone might want to watch are all there. And then the curated selections are even more specific than that. And that's something that I enjoy about Shutter. That's useful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so uh, let's talk about Apple TV+. Plus. That's a very new platform now. Obviously, it's Apple's streaming platform. It's among the cheapest. I would, it's only $5 per month. But the catch with Apple TV+, Plus is that they have a very small library. At this point, yeah. all they're offering is originals. Yeah, so, I I get it. I bought an I bought a uh, an Apple TV a few months ago to watch screeners on because mm-hmm. it, the device the Apple TV has the AirPlay function, which is great. Again, your Wi-Fi has to be good, but if your Wi-Fi is good, you can just cast from your computer onto the Apple TV. No wires or anything. Oh. That's very convenient. But, yeah, it's really convenient. But the device comes with a subscription to Apple TV Plus. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, Alex. I've never watched it. There's, right. <laughs> there's, there's really nothing on there to watch. I don't know if I would really recommend even subscribing to it if you don't have an Apple TV and it doesn't come with, just because it there's not a whole lot on there yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very small library at this point. It's mostly, I mean, there's some original TV content, and there are a few movies. They have The Banker. Mm-hmm. Hala from earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Also, Beastie Boys Story is a new addition. Yeah, Spike that Spike Jones's yep that came out last week. The Spike Jones Spike Jones's documentary about the Beastie Boys. So there are a few films, but not many. <laughs> I imagine this service will grow. I, I assume. Yeah, uh, this is another area where Apple seems to be putting a lot of its efforts into TV and series. Yeah, like in the build up to the launch of Apple TV Plus, most of the you know the press releases hitting our inboxes were about series rather than original films right right so after that i think we should finally we should just kind of look at some of the uh effectively free streaming services yeah these will have uh, ads a couple of too. those right right uh, so these that, love ads and they'll be the repetitive ads that you get on hulu where you want to <laughs> where you have the progressive commercial memorizing you want to pull your hair out but you know if you want to watch a movie and there's no other way to watch it yep <laughs> one of them is tubi tv Mm-hmm. And that has, uh, I would say the advantage of it is that it does have a lot of movies. A lot. If you're if you're looking for something specific and you do a search, Tubi will come up quite a bit. Like uh, last week I watched a movie on Tubi, uh, Pulse, Cairo, the original Japanese J-horror oh, movie nice. from the early 2000s. Yeah, very creepy movie. Oh, yeah. I love that film. It's great. Super creepy. It's on Tubi. 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have so, so supposedly, reportedly, they have like over five thousand movies on there, which is yeah. uh, which is quite a lot. It is even more so than some of the other services, though. It really does feel like. The, uh, a random assortment of films. Just oh, like yeah. Anything they can get their hands on. Oh, yeah. It's kind of the opposite of curated <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, like we were talking about uh, Mubi being a video store recommendation shelf. Tubi is the big bin of old DVDs that they're selling off. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tubi is like... Doobie TV is like if you are at a mire or something and there's, <laughs> and there's a bin up front of, of DVDs that are just like, there's just like a pile of random DVDs. Yeah, I mean, the, the gas gonna, station rack of... Uh, the DVD gas station or, rack, that's right. Yeah. You're actually, you're going to find some good stuff, but you're also going to find a lot of not great stuff. Um, yeah, don't, if you're not looking for anything specific, something interesting will pop up, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, it's, it's the budget choice. I mean, mm-hmm. and you are getting, in terms of quantity for your money, it's free mm-hmm. and you get a lot uh it's not for anyone who who is looking for for much in particular although you might find that because of the size of their selections well i i would say it kind of is both extremes if you go in completely open-minded like i don't know i just want to watch a movie and you just click around a little bit you'll find something and if say you're doing the kind of thing that i do and i know you do too alex and a lot of cinephiles do is you make a list like now we're starting to look at films for when we i don't think this is a huge spoiler or anything we're gonna do best films of 2000 list like we do every year and so you start looking at stuff months early for that and i'm finding some of this stuff on tubi because i have a list that i'm working off of you know what i mean yeah, totally. So it is useful in that respect. Mm-hmm. And Although it's free. The, so. I gotta say the transfers aren't always great. Yeah, and the commercials is, that's a real bummer. I mean, you know, we grew up at a time and sort of used to seeing movies on TV, but uh, mm-hmm. we're kind of moving out of that age. Yeah. And nobody ever, I don't think anybody's nostalgic for getting commercial breaks in their <laughs> movies. <laughs> I don't think so. so. I, yeah, because sometimes it'll be in the middle of a scene and you're like, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the other major free service is Crackle. Yeah. Crackle's been around a little bit longer. It's actually been I've, around for a few years. I have to admit, I've never fired up Crackle. I've had it on several devices and I've I've never actually fired it up. Um, there's another one called Voodoo that's owned by Walmart. Yeah. That is sort of a poor man's Amazon Prime in some ways. In yeah. That it's got rentals on it. And they've also got a lot of free movies on there. So like with these kind of apps, what I do, and I feel like it's pretty effective, is you install all the free ones, right? Just install them. They're free. Why not? Mm-hmm. And then use the search function on your uh, device and then it'll show you where they are. Totally. Yep. That's what I do. I, Voodoo, I always kind of thought of as more of a rental service. I guess they do have free titles, though. They, it, It's relatively recent, but they have a kind of a lot now. Like House of Flying Daggers was free on there. Oh, nice. Crackle, uh, it's it's one distinguishing characteristic, I think, is that a lot of Sony titles pop up there mm-hmm. because uh, Crackle is actually owned by Sony. And uh, it's a very random assortment of films. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the list you have here is very random. No, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, like, so I, I, I picked some of the more interesting films that are available. You can get Lars Venture's Melancholy on there, the VHS films, uh, David Gordon Green's Prince Avalanche, uh, Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. Those are on there. There's also a lot of really terrible looking movies that nobody's ever heard of and they're all on there as well so if that's your cup of tea (laughs) yeah if you're you know say you're reading a book about a genre of film and you know say you're reading a book about film neo-noirs of the 
1970s or something like that, put it on your device and give it a search. They might have what you're looking for. Yeah, I think that's good advice to just download some of the ones that are free because mm -hmm. uh, who knows? They might have what you're looking for someday and they're there. Because, uh, I mean, that, that's sort of the that's sort of our guide at this point of the streaming mm -hmm. services. There are more, obviously. There's more every day, I think. But those are the major ones, I think. And I think what it comes down to is just what you're looking for. And I, I hope we gave you some sort of sense of yeah. what these different services provide and, and what they offer. Some people probably purchase all of them. I, I have a few of them myself. Yeah, I don't have all of them, but I yeah. have a few of them. And I think password sharing is honestly just kind of a part of life in, in our current world. Because like we were saying, it'd be the price of a cable package if you didn't. Pretty much. Yeah, I, 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 don't, think, um, I don't think that's going anywhere. Perhaps that makes me a scoff law. <laughs> I don't see the harm in people yeah. using a password. Totally. So I think they all have their, their advantages and disadvantages. I think pound for pound, probably if you were just going to get one. Well, again, I think it depends on what you're looking for. Right, exactly. I, I think I admire the Criterion channel the most mm -hmm. uh, of the available options but again I don't always want to watch something that's one might say criterion worthy <laughs> there are times <laughs> when I want to watch something that's a little bit more disreputable mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. I think if you put together one maybe one of one of the bigger services and one of the more specialized services with two services I think you can probably tailor a pretty satisfying movie streaming experience and then like I said just add all the free ones at the end and then search for stuff and the option of rentals maybe too in there too you know yeah, if there's something sure. you really want to see you can rent it as well yeah, for sure. I, I love how when, you know, when streaming first started, digital rentals weren't nearly as plentiful as they are now. And now most movies are available at least for a digital rental. And I enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. 10 years as a video store clerk here, there's certain things that you will never go away for me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, everybody, that's all we've got for you this week. And when you're not enjoying your favorite streaming service, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Film Club wherever you get your podcasts. And this week's episode of Film Club was hosted by me, Alex Dowd, and by Katie Reif. It was produced and edited by Carl Blumberg. Our sound mixer and finishing editor is Seth Hafer, and our motion graphics designer is Julie Mullins. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode on summer blockbuster season. Thanks for listening. Thanks. See you next time. <laughs>